At this time, the children can be released to Children's Church, which they'll find through this door over on the left side of the sanctuary. I'm very eager to introduce our speaker to you this morning. Craig Rasmussen was a pastor for nine years. He's a man with a heart for God and a love for the, the Lord Jesus Christ who feels deeply the grace of salvation. And that's what drives missions. So Craig was a pastor for nine years and uh, then felt a call to be more involved in missions. He became a missions mobilizer, and that's what he's been doing uh, he's in his second career. Craig is married, and uh, he's from my home state. Yeah, he lives in Elk River, Minnesota. So, Craig, we're real eager to hear from you. Will you come on up and share with us? Yeah, sure. Well, we could talk about Sven and Oli, but we'll pass on that today. <laughs> Besides, I'm not from Elk River anymore. I'm actually from Indiana, but... <laughs> oh! Woo! I want to thank the worship team for a couple of reasons. That was a wonderful song. It also gave me a little time to recover from that children's choir. I didn't want to follow them. Especially that little guy in the front row with the suspenders. Who lit the fire in him? <laughs> Woo! Well, I, I want to talk to you this morning. Last night we talked about fire. Today we're going to talk about power. I see a theme here. I want to talk to you about power to change the world. And before I do, though, there, there might be some of you who are who are sitting here saying, okay, that might be for some, but not for me. Why, 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 why do I really want to change the world? I, I didn't sign up for changing the world. I just want to you know, sit back and take it easy. Is it really that important? Is missions really that important, really? Yeah. Power to change the world is not just an option. It's a command. And uh, I'd like you to see where that command is. You know, it's in the end of Matthew. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to the end of Matthew. And before we really get into the main thing I wanted to talk about today, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time talking to you about the Great Commission. And I'm sure you're familiar with it, but I want to unpack it just a little bit for you. And, and uh, Jeremy's probably done this same thing for you from time to time, but I want to bring us back to this touchstone before we go any further. We're going to start at verse 18. We generally think of the Great Commission as 19 and 20. We leave out 18. We shouldn't do that. As 18 starts out, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Don't skip that because it tells us right off the bat that what Jesus is going to say, He's saying out of utmost, unsurpassable, top-notch authority. This isn't just something He throws out. But before he goes back, after he's been crucified, he's risen again, he's been with his people, before he goes back, the last thing he says, out of the authority that he has, is this. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the end of the age. 
Now before he says, I've got all authority, and at the end he says, I'm with you to the end of the age. So what he says in the middle is bracketed by that fact that he has all authority and that he's going to be with you so that you have all authority when you fulfill what's in the middle. So the first thing that we see here before we even look at verse 19 and the first part of 20 is this is spoken with authority and it's given to you so that you have the authority because Jesus, the author of authority, is with you. Now, let's take a look at the, at, at the middle again. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. There are four verbs in there. I'm going to play a little game with you. Four verbs. Go, make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. Which one's the main verb? Which one's the most important verb? How many would say it's go? All right, I've got a couple. I have a feeling you've been through this. Okay. How many say it's make disciples? I'm not. None of the people are being committed here so far. <laughs> Baptizing. Teaching. Okay, I'm glad we're going through this again because they forgot. <laughs> the main verb in this, it's a little tricky. You've got to really kind of know the Greek to get it. So it's a little bit of a trick question. The main verb is making disciples. All the other verbs are participles. They're kind of dependent. Make disciples is the only verb that is in the uh, the imperative, and it's clearly the subject. Or it's clearly the main verb, I mean. It's clearly the main verb. Make disciples. So it, it could actually be translated, while you're going, going is assumed, make disciples, do so by baptizing and teaching. Make disciples. Now, the other thing is that make disciples in the Greek is a transitive verb. What's a transitive verb? A transitive verb is a verb that demands an object. It would be like if, if I were to come down to Seth and I were to hand him my phone and I were to say, Seth, could you please call? What are you going to say? Call who? Call who? Exactly. It demands, it, it doesn't make sense until I put the object at the end of it. Call who? The same thing is true with the verb make disciples in Greek. The hearers of that would have heard make disciples and they would have, and if it stopped right there, they would have said that doesn't make any sense. You need to finish the thought. Make disciples of who? Who does it say make disciples of? All nations. Now, what does the word all nations mean? Now, here's another one where you've got to grab a little out of the Greek. It, in the Greek, it is make disciples, panta, ta, ethne. Panta is all, ta is basically the, ethne. Sounds like what word? Ethnic or ethnicities. It does not mean make disciples of all Political nations. It means make disciples of all ethnicities. So the, the, what, what Jesus is saying here at the very end, he's taking all of the authority that he has and he's putting it behind this command and he's following it up with authority given to you to fulfill the command. The command is summed up in this one phrase, make disciples of all ethnicities. Now does that sound like an option? It doesn't to me. It sounds like it's the most important thing that Jesus said before he went. So if you're a follower of Christ, and it's pretty evident that most people here are, not all of you, if you're a follower of Christ, this is the greatest commandment that Jesus has given out of the, outside of the two greatest commandments, and it's actually the exercise of the two greatest commandments, that being love God and love people. You do that by making disciples of all ethnicities. 
And there are 20, roughly 24,000 ethnicities in the world. There are 6,000 of them that don't have a clue. We have work to do. The good news, though, the good news comes in the next place that the Great Commission is, uh, appears. And that is in Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and I invite you to turn there. This is our principal text for the morning. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is once again talking to his people the very last thing before he goes back and is with the Father. And he gives a, he gives a directive to them, but before the directive, he gives a promise. It is that promise that we're going to spend the rest of our time on this morning. That promise says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then the directive, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the purpose of that power is to be witnesses in all the places you don't want to go. That's really what Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the ends of the earth are. We sometimes think Jerusalem is our next door neighbors, but it really isn't because the disciples, if you look back in John, Jesus was telling them they were going to go to Jerusalem. He said, you don't want to go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. They tried to kill you last time you were there. You don't want to go there, you're going to die. Of course, they were right. But the point is, they didn't want to go to Jerusalem. So going to, going to your next door neighbors is assumed. That was assumed all through Jesus' life. But when it comes to the end of his life, he says, I not only want you to go to your next door neighbors, I want you to go to the people who don't like you. And that's just the starting point. That's Jerusalem. Then there's Judea, and then there's Samaria, and then there's the end of the earth. So I'm going to say about the second half, the first half. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. See, if you're a Christian, you have received power because the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you have a power plant in you, and maybe that power plant isn't really burning real, real brightly. We talked about that yesterday as fire, the fire that is in you. And we want to fan those flames. We want that power plant to become stronger and mightier so that you can do the job that Jesus has given you to do. And we're going to look at how that's done. But before we do, I want to stop and pray. And I'm going to do something here. I've been debating whether I want to do this or not. And I'm going to. I'm going to ask Jeremy to come up here and I'm going to ask him to pray. The reason is, I just heard this man pray twice today. And I know, I, I know at least one reason why this is, a, this is a church that is so marvelously in love with Jesus is because this man knows how to pray. And uh, I'm just going to ask uh, if you would pray for this message. Heavenly Father, we believe that this is your word, and God, we are, we are desiring to hear your voice today. We pray, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us afresh, Lord. We pray that you would uh, burn away everything, God, that would keep us from focusing on you. Lord, speak to us. Lord, uh, put your Holy Spirit on your servant, Craig. God, we pray that as he speaks, he would just continue to pierce our hearts. Even now, Lord, I just feel my heart stirred by thinking about Matthew and that call to make disciples. Lord, forgive us for our laxity in desire to make disciples of all nations. And God, we just pray now that you would overcome our fear, our timidity, and our, uh, our resistance and our reticence, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. 
And so, Lord, uh, come and speak to your people. Shepherd your flock, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Well, we're going to look at, at this promise uh, that actually comes twice because the word you will is there twice. It's not just a suggestion. It is, it is an assurance. You will receive power. You will be witnesses. That's not an option. It's not a maybe. It is a certainty. Now, what is the nature of that power that you're going to, going to receive? We want to look at it from four different perspectives. First of all, what is its source? Where does this power come from? Then we're going to look at its costs. What is the price of this power? We're going to take a long look at that. Then we're going to look at the goal. Why do we have this power? And finally, what is its reward? So let's just jump right in. We're going to take a look at the source of this power. Now again, it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes, you have power to change the world. You have power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When does that happen? Now, I am of the conviction... I haven't asked Jeremy, but I believe that he is also of the conviction that the Holy Spirit comes upon you at conversion. When you become a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you are a Christian, you have the power to change the world. It is the Holy Spirit in you. The good news about that, the good news about it is that when you are told that we need to be about changing the world, we need to be about missions, you don't have to, you don't have to come and say, you know, I can't do it myself. I know that. No, you can't do it yourself. But the Holy Spirit in you can. That's what it's all about. The Holy Spirit brings the power. You have the assignment to change the world. You also have the power within you because you have the Holy Spirit. The source of the power is the Holy Spirit which you received at the moment that you became a Christian. So the good news is, that's a done deal. You've got it. Let's move on. The next, the next question is the big question in my mind. What is it going to cost? What is it going to cost to actually use that power? And this is really where the rubber meets the road. Because the cost is high. In fact, the cost is life. First of all, it costs Jesus' life for the Holy Spirit to come. Where did the Holy Spirit come from? If the power comes to you, and the Holy Spirit comes to your life, where did the Holy Spirit come from? In John 14, verse 25-26, Jesus says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sent and will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then in, in John 16, verse 7, he says, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. If I go away, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. Unless I go away, He will not come. You see, we're, we're all about talking about the fact that Jesus died so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. He died so that we could go to heaven. And how true that is. And let's never ever lose touch of that because that's so core to who we are. But we sometimes miss this other part. And that is that Jesus also died to release power to you. Power to live rightly. Power to resist sin. Power to witness. Power to shine His light. Power to change the world. 
and, and I think that so often we will say to Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me so that I can have eternal life. Oh, but that part about sending power, you know, that I'm not sure I'm really interested in that. Because I really don't want to have to change the world. In fact, I really don't want to have to live a holy life. In fact, I really don't want to have to do all that other stuff that the Holy Spirit gives me power to do. So I'm really not that interested in that part. Let me submit to you that it's a very dangerous thing to tell Jesus that you want half of the reason he died and not the other half. The power of the Holy Spirit comes because Jesus died. The source of the power is the death of Jesus. But it's more than that. The cost of this power was not only Jesus' death, but it was the death of His disciples. Every one of Jesus' earlier followers died because they were following Him. Because they were wielding the power. Fox's Book of Martyrs has this list. He says, Andrew was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten and then crucified. James, son of Alphaeus, was stoned. James, son of Zebedee, was beheaded. John was exiled for his faith and died of old age. Judas, uh, not Iscariot, the other Judas, stoned to, stoned to death. Matthew was speared. Peter was crucified upside down. Philip was crucified. Simon was crucified. Thomas and Matthias, uh, Thomas was speared, rather, and Matthias was stoned. And in addition, it was likely that Paul was executed in Rome. They all died because they lived and proclaimed the name of Jesus. And there are many others over the centuries. But, of course, that was then, martyrs back then, first few hundred years of Christianity. It's good to know that that's past, isn't it? No, it isn't, is it? And you see, that's the third thing. It cost the life of Jesus, it cost the life of his early disciples, but it also cost the life of martyrs throughout the centuries. There are so many that I couldn't begin to tell you. In fact, there are so many that if we were to just take three minutes for every martyr who dies, we were to take three minutes of silence for every martyr who dies today, we would never speak again. Because that's how frequently someone dies for their faith somewhere in the world. Approximately every three minutes. I'm not going to tell you all the stories. I don't know all of them. I know several of them. But obviously I don't know all of them. Few people know... I, I'm sorry, many, many people who die are, are not known by much of anyone other than their families. But there are stories. A couple of them you've probably heard, but they're worth telling again. Jim Elliott, along with his fellow missionaries, Pete, uh, Ed McCulley, Roger Uderi, and Pete Fleming and Nate Saint, all killed by the Aka Indians in Ecuador on January 8th of uh, 1956. And you're probably, familiar, you're probably familiar with the words of Jim El- that Jim Elliott had penned in his journal not long before he died when he said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that's what he did. There's also another missionary... I've told this story many times, but I've never told it to told it at a church that has such a close connection to this story. The missionary was Ronnie Bowers. Ronnie Bowers, along with her newly adopted daughter, were, were flying in a plane piloted by Kevin Donaldson. Kevin Donaldson 
is the son of one of your missionaries, one of your longest time missionaries, missionary couples, Rich and Dee Donaldson, down in Peru. Kevin was flying this plane, and it was mistakenly shot down over the jungles of Peru, August 20, 2001. Ronnie's husband and their son survived, and later at the funeral, Ronnie said, or, or, uh, Jim, Ronnie's husband, said, Ronnie didn't die over the jungles of Peru. She died 23 years ago when she gave herself to Jesus. It's hard for me to say that and not get emotional. There are other stories. And in these stories of 20th century martyrs, we begin to find our own story. See, it's not just the death of Christ that is the price of the power to change the world. It's not just the death of the the disciples. It's not just the death of the martyrs. But it's something else. Jim Elliott pointed to it when he says he is no fool who cannot who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's when we say, I can't keep this life anyway. I can't keep this life anyway. I'm going to lose it eventually. I may as well spend it on something that will last for eternity. The glory of God. And Ronnie, uh, Jim, Jim Bowers pointed to it as well when he said of Ronnie that she gave her life. She died 23 years ago when she handed her life over to Jesus. I, I, whenever I say that, whenever I think of that, I think, have I died in that way? Have I died in that way? Why not, if not? And if not, I, I can never really dream of having the power to change the world. It's there, but unless I, I die like that, it's, it's never going to amount to anything. Because the fourth thing that has to die, the fourth life after Jesus' death, the disciples' death, the martyrs' death, is yours and mine. Paul put it this way. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Oh, we say that. We've got it memorized. We can rattle it off. But do we really mean it? Do we really mean that, we would, that, that all of my possessions, all of my hopes, all of my dreams, even all of my loved ones, my attachments of all kinds are dead because I have come to Christ? And only Christ lives in me. Or do we hold on to some of them? Do we hold on to our dreams? I was talking with a young lady last, last night, and, and she just warmed me so much because she came to me and she said, I'm like you. I want to be a spiritual pyromaniac and light fires in people. And, and I talked to her for a little while, and I, she's 16, and I, and I said, what, what do you think, do you think missions is in your future? She said, I don't know. She said, I think I want to be a pastor's wife. And I said, you know, that's a good dream. It's not necessarily a bad one at all. But just be careful that you don't. And she interrupted me and she said, make that bigger than God's dream. She got it. See, so often we tell our kids, follow your dreams. 
Don't sell them short. Don't tell them, follow your dreams. Tell them, follow God's dream. Die to your dreams. Follow God's dream. That's what it means to die for Jesus. That's what it means to die to self and let Jesus live in you. So you've got that power in you that has cost the death of self. Now try using that power. What's going to happen? What will happen once you start wielding that power? Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. 2 Timothy 3.12 Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4 Starting at verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or other criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. See, the power to change the world is great power. And it comes at great cost. And should you decide to wield it, and you really have no choice if you're to be an obedient follower of Christ, you must wield it. Should you decide to wield it, you're likely to suffer. You might even die. But that's the nature of God's call. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, when God bids a man to come, he bids him come and die. Bonhoeffer knew what he was talking about. He was a Lutheran pastor during World War II. He was a participant in the German resistance movement against the Nazis. He was a founding member of the Confessing Church. And he was arrested in March 1943. He was imprisoned and he was hanged just before the war ended. God could have held him back a little longer. But no, God had something for him. It's called an eternal reward. Resurrection to power to change the world is costly. It could cost you everything, but oh, what it gives. Oh, what it gives. We find what it gives in its purpose. What is the reason that we have this power? What is the purpose of this power to change the world? Revelation 5, 9, one of my favorite verses. One we used last night. I think it's the only one we're using in both times. Because it's so central. John gets the veil peeled back and he gets to look up into eternity and he sees heaven. This is what he says new song up there. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Let me ask you a question. I know many of you have. How many of you have had an opportunity to worship with people who don't speak the same language you do? They don't have the same culture you do. You have absolutely nothing in common with them except Jesus. How many of you have had that opportunity? Now, what does it do to your vision of God? 
makes it huge. Thank you, brother. That is exactly right. It makes it huge. Now imagine that going on with not just one bunch of people with whom you share nothing, but multitudes of people from every tongue, every tribe, every language, every nation, all gathered together, and God is right there in front of you. What is that going to do to your vision of God? Exploded. What is that going to do to the joy that is inside of you? It's going to explode. Oh, how wonderful that is, because you see, that's the whole purpose The whole purpose is not just that people will be saved and go to heaven. The whole purpose is that they will glorify Him forever. You will join in that and God alone will receive the glory. And you will receive the joy of the overflow of that glory. And this this task that every tribe, every people group, every language will be represented in heaven. This task is so important to God that He is holding back on Jesus' return until the job is done to His satisfaction. Not to mine, not to yours, but to His satisfaction. He puts it this way. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony... I'm sorry. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He's holding off until the job is done. I want to go back real quick to a couple of, of uh, stories that we looked at a minute ago, and I just want to, want to add one little element to them. You remember those five missionaries who were speared by the Aka Indians? Well, 40 years later, and after the killings and after 40 years of ministry, among those Indians, Nate Saint, who was Steve Saint's dad, was recollecting that whole thing. And he had, he had learned, he had talked many times with the Indians who had killed his dad, who had now become Christians. And he said this, he made this observation, he said, as they described their recollections, it occurred to me how incredibly unlikely it was that the Palm Beach, the Palm Beach was the little landing strip where this slaughter took place, that the Palm Beach killing took place at all. It is an anomaly that I cannot explain outside of divine intervention. You hear what he's saying? My dad would not have have died unless, except that God intervened. And And then Jim Bowers talks about Ronnie's death, and he said, you know, he didn't die in the jungle, she died 23 years ago. Well, then later he said something else on national TV. He talked about the bullet itself, and he said, that was a sovereign bullet. You hearing what these people are saying? Nate Sane is basically saying, God killed my dad. Jim Bowers is basically saying, God guided the bullet that killed my wife. Have they gone nuts? Are they totally mad? Worse than that, are they heretics? I don't think so. I think they realize something that is so incredibly true. It, is, it, it, it speaks of, of the power that we have, of the assurance that we will be witnesses, of the fact that all nations will be reached, of the fact that we are not weak, that we have nothing to fear, and that something is the sovereignty of God that brings us to the glory of God. Paul says, I I eagerly expect and hope that I will 
in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient course so that now, as always in Christ, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To die is gain. Because my life is in His hands. My death is in His hands. And when I die, I will have more of His power and I will see His glory more fully. Steve St. Jim Bowers and Paul all realized what I call the martyr's victory. What is the martyr's victory? First, first thing, when a martyr dies, what happens? A saint goes to glory. He's in heaven. That's a victory. That's gain. Second thing that happens is people who watch that martyr die realize that to him, Jesus was more important than life. And that points to the value of God. The third thing that happens is that it encourages believers for generations to come. And we can look back years and years ago on the life of martyrs and we can say, there, that, that's, a, that's a great encouragement to me to move forward and to glorify God. The fourth thing that it does is that it just gives God great glory. This is what the power to change the world really is. It's the power to say, I want God glorified so much that I will give everything. I will give everything. I will give my life if necessary, and if I do, I'll just say, gain. Some people are afraid of that power. They fear it. Because it's too big. It's too much. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes it's a little offensive. Maybe you feel that. Welcome to the gospel. The gospel is offensive. But when you grab it, when you got the guts for it anyway, even though it's scary, you got the guts for it anyway. Say yes. Yes, I will give my all. I will give it to the populace of heaven and to the eternal glory of God. Yes, I'll do it because I've got the power in me. I don't want it to just sit there. If you will, then you'll have a reward very quickly. What is the reward that we receive? The first thing, the first reward that we receive is ultimate satisfaction and joy and fulfillment in that can only come from Christ. Psalm 62, verses 2-5, to I have seen you in the sanctuary, and behold, your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. My, with singing, my lips, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Satisfaction only in Him. But satisfaction also in Him only. That is to say, it's not my satisfaction in Jesus, but then there are other things as well that can kind of add to that. No, it is in Him only. Everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters and father and mother and children and fields for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. What Jesus is saying to you is, if you walk away from it all, if you give it all 
to the kingdom. And you go and you devote it solely to him. He says, I'm going I'm to work so hard for you. I'm going to run interference for you. It doesn't mean you're going to be safe. Not in the world's eyes. You're going to be safe in me, Jesus is saying. I will give you so much satisfaction. I'll give you so much joy. give you so much purpose. That you'll look back on all that you left behind and you'll say, I didn't give up anything. Because look at what I gained. I gained God. I gained Jesus. That's what he's saying. So I've painted a little bit of a, maybe the darker side, some might say, of missions commitment to you. I paint it because it's real. I want you to know what you're getting yourselves in for. If you haven't submitted those cards yet, maybe God wanted you to do something. Maybe you had a finger in, figure in mind. You filled that out and you were trying to figure out what number that was. Maybe God's telling you, put an extra zero there. <laughs> maybe he's, he's really telling you to risk big. Maybe he's telling you to give your life. I want you to know that it's there. But I also want you to know what it can give you. I want you to know that ultimate satisfaction can be found in nothing other than Him. So I ask you, will you do it? Will you take that power that is in you, that power to change the world, and will you put it to work? This might be the time. This might be the place. It might be a turning point not only for you, but for those who have yet to hear, but will hear because of a decision that you make this morning. Dear God, let this be that moment. Let this be that time that we are ready to say, I have a power in me and I will use it. I don't care what it costs because, oh, the reward is so great. Let this be the time, Father, when some will say, I will go. Maybe there will be some young people who will go home as Grace did back in Fort Wayne said to her parents, I don't care really what you say, Mom and Dad. I'm going to be a missionary. Might that happen? Might we all be driven to let go of more for your kingdom that we would see your glory shine brighter here and throughout all of eternity. Eric Mello, I'm one of the elders here at Celestia Baptist Church. It's my privilege now to lead us in a time of communion. Uh, what a great opportunity we have after that message just to continue this worship service, pondering all that the Lord has done for us, not just by giving up his life, but as we were reminded, giving us the power we need to live this life. What a challenging message. Uh, but this is a great opportunity for us to just participate in this great meal together. It's amazing that God would condescend and become one of us, would empty himself, surrender everything for us to pay the, the, the penalty.